0: guys takes a long view and a long price spoilers will be commonplace listen at your own risk
1: good morning faithful reader
0: welcome fortunate seeker this
1: is podcast guys talking erotic Errata.
0: podcast guys talking erotic erada is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil where
1: a historian
0: And a literature scholar.
1: Tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as... Will we ever learn the truth of the Great Goblin conspiracy? Does Cat just have a thing for senior officers? This little fireside chat is fun. Think we should do it again sometime? is the lifeblood of war. No army can win a battle if it isn't standing on the battlefield. Theodosius the Unconquered, Tyrant of Helika
0: This chapter, we get our very first serious fireside conversation with the initial pieces of the woe. Everyone gets drunk. A lot of series favorites are present. And I feel like Catherine flirts with somebody. I forget. I mean, that does sound like Cat. Fair. So before we get into the chapter though, I want to note that the epigraph is about swiftness being important about getting to the battlefield. And this chapter starts very much in light of that sentiment. There were still a few days before we linked up with the other legions, but we were making good time. How cool. It's not often we see them link so closely and instantly. What we do often see in this series, however, is something that I'm on record at saying I find pretty cool. The mundane underpinning the some material realities which undergird so much of the conflict in the book. We learned that... We learned that praise had gotten partially into its position because it had tried to steal the kingdom's weather, but that that cemented the role of the green stretch as the breadbasket of the wasteland, though that label now also extended to pretty much all of Callow these days. The empire imported grain and fruit heavily from the conquered lands, the wagon loads of food almost as precious as the gold they taxed out of the people farming it. We know how central this was to the... Plan of the conquest, anyway, and to the cycle of invasion and repulsion in the past. It's just here in plain daylight, and I think most of us didn't read too heavily into it at the time because that's just economics and not stabonomics.
1: And stabonomics are the mundane underpinnings. Oh, wait, no, that's economics. Sorry.
0: Stabonomics are actually the study of goblin eagerness to commit violence which oh. is a an official measurement system. Mm-hmm. Catherine meets Pickler on her way to the bonfire, and she tells us that on the, this is one word, goblin eagerness to commit violence, on that scale, she pretty much defined the low end, which, one, spectacular measurement system, I'd love to know what the units are called, and <laughs> two, it's not that she really is on the low end of eagerness to commit violence, She's just she's more deferred than abstained. I think Pickler is responsible for a whole lot of violence.
1: That's true. She doesn't personally commit as much, but she enables lots of violence to happen. I think the unit is probably something like center robbers. Well, that's a really high amount. How can you get up to a center robber? Other way. Hmm? More more in the vibe of, like, centimeter. You need a hundred of them to be a robber. Right. So how do you get up to a center robber? Oh, uh, well... It takes a lot of support on the back end from Pickler, I think. And, yeah, that's about the only way you're getting there, I think. Well,
0: speaking of support on the back end from Pickler, Catherine (laughs) seems to be in the market for some of that.
1: (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) I know where you're going with this, and you can't say that. (laughs) All right, go, go ahead, I suppose. We can't just leave that hanging.
0: Catherine plies Pickler with alcohol and then places her hand on her shoulder. Well, she promises to ply Pickler with alcohol and then places her hand on her shoulder. And Pickler says, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and assume you're not signaling your willingness to sleep with me. Which is because physical contact is a thing in goblin culture. And if you're not intimate or intending to be with a person, or roughhousing among men, as you know the rituals are intricate, It's not done. But I do want to note how, even though it's a relatively dry statement, Pickler has a really successful line here. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and assume you're not signaling your willingness to sleep with me. It's a diplomatic refusal whether she's ignorant or amorous because it gives her an out. Let's say Catherine is just trying to take Pickler to bed. Pickler Demonstrates, I'm not interested. And don't worry, I know you're not. It, it's just a good conversationally diplomatic moment.
1: It, yeah, it's, it's well handled all the way around. She doesn't make it any more awkward than this kind of thing has to be, you know, the base level. Uh, this kind of thing being interaction with Catherine Foundling? Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, and Kat immediately just, like, jerks her hand back as though her fingers were burned, which... Uh, it's less a, diplomatic. I was going to say the exact same thing. A tad less diplomatic than than Pickler's approach. But yeah, Pickler goes on to explain that touching means you're involved with someone, uh, if you're a female.
0: As I said, the rituals are intricate. Being touched, starved is probably half the reason that male goblins roughhouse so much. I would say.
1: Only half. I yeah. You think the other half is infuriating pickler then these are all tying together ah yeah so what is this convoluted segue for our audience boy howdy knock and robber are um both interested in pickler and pursuing it mostly through bickering which pickler's unimpressed by because all it does is infuriate her and Nilan explains that that's probably about half the reason that robber does it in the first place which I think is being incredibly generous to the sapper. Do not—it's it, only half. That robber is not somebody who gets by with only incidentally infuriating people.
0: Robber is the kind of guy who has one full reason for everything he does, and you do not want to know it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's very true.
0: So, Nücker thinks you could tolerate robber more if he weren't so—if he didn't act so manly. And Catherine nearly chokes on her Arach, questions the designation, and says, I mean, he's my friend, but he's also the sentient equivalent of a pack of walking razor blades. And I just think they're a very good set of friends, walking along through the fires of the world they burn down, hand in unlovable hand.
1: Cat really does have such a way with words, though. <laughs> He's the sentient equivalent of a pack of walking razor blades. I know. Cat isn't the only one with a way with words. It's, it's very, very good. But uh, yeah, uh, so that's that's the uh, problem with Robert, is that he's too manly. The problem with Nock, according to Pickler, is that he's a little bit too sweet. Um, just a reminder for everybody, Nock is the guy that when he goes into a battle, loses all control and starts wrestling ogres because the red rage comes over him, he's not somebody who I think on the surface level one would describe as being too sweet. It's it's great. It, it, Pickler is the best. Goblins are great. It's <laughs> I just wish this he would be I wish he would be less sweet. And the other problem, of course, is that he couldn't build a trebuchet if his life depended on it.
0: Say what you will about Pickler last name,
1: but she knows her own standards. Fewer razor blades, more trebuchets.
0: Which will be my platform if I ever run for office. <laughs>
1: That's a bold stance.
0: We're, I'm just saying what everyone's thinking.
1: <laughs> it's true. Finally, somebody is willing to, be, willing to stand up and say it. So brave. So, the thing
0: about language is it's really hard to control. And also, historically, the people who try to control it are both stupid and evil. I'm looking at you, Académie Francaise. But... Goblins do it successfully, and because they're goblins, it's cool that they do. Sure. Nobody speaks goblin other than goblins. Literally nobody. And I don't mean they're not fluent in the language. I know plenty of people who aren't fluent in, say, Spanish, but can throw out an hola and an uno dos tres. But in goblin, people can't say anything. Only a handful of words from goblin had ever been translated. And records noted that within a generation, every identified term disappeared, replaced by another. How do you just replace a word in a whole population? You you can replace some things, sure. Many may remember during the heights of the COVID nineteen pandemic, the South Africa variant and the India variant suddenly had Greek names, and because of a concerted effort. Those trickled into the general population. I don't know what, if anything, Omicron was called before it was Omicron. But how do you get people to stop saying hello or blue or cheeseburger?
1: Well, I mean, it helps that when you have a more. Hmm, when the entirety. When you start with the entirety of the language. of the speaking population of the language being not just a nation in our understanding of the word, but a very. I don't know, closed off nation. Like it, it's, they're all one species in a world where there are other races like species. There are They're all one, like the entirety of the culture is in one state and the entirety of the state is that culture and that ethnicity. And it, it's all, goblins are goblins. And I so I think that helps. And there's also quite a bit of loyalty, forced loyalty among the goblins to, and fear. I mean, let's be honest, fear all of these play a role I think in the matrons having outsized influence on even the tiniest minutiae when it comes to the culture of their followers in a way that human society just doesn't represent like real life society doesn't Thank God. yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, this isn't me praising the goblins for being able to get rid of some words. Uh, it's horrific. Uh, but also, I mean, well, we shouldn't talk about it, but the, uh, rumors of a certain conspiracy.
0: I literally just got stabbed for talking. But yeah, I believe in the goblin world, the popular slogan goes, one border, one nation, stop lingual exportation. Very good. Thank you. I don't really listen when you speak. I just compose pithy responses.
1: It's working out. And honestly,
0: out. it's almost too easy.
1: Uh, yep. Hey, that is what Hawkham says later. Um, so... Hawkerum wins a bet with Nilan, um, and you know about things going on in the camp, which is all the information that's needed here. Because he follows up, Hawkerum says, "It's almost too easy fleecing you people." And hey, Hawkerum, I it kind of feels like you're cheating here. He's got a nascent name that is has an inbuilt skill set designed around understanding the various people within Kat's military. The people, their role, their relationships, their function Like, his name is a military name designed around administrative administration. Yes, when you make bets on interpersonal relationships within the camp that you have a name designed around controlling, you're going to win those bets. It is easy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have the name yet. It's a nascent name. But that is, like, Hockham's whole thing.
0: One of his whole things. He has other whole things? There is an unfortunately easy and unfortunately soaked in impropriety pun I will avoid here, but yes, he's also a champion of free love.
1: True. That is another one of Hockram's whole things.
0: In fact, he tells us that no orc would stand for the foolishness of arranged marriages, like goblins do. In fact, chiefs who meddle in stuff like that get an axe in the skull. And that's honestly great praxis, or perhaps per axis because of the X in this praxis.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the conversation goes on where the group here, Nillen and Hockram and Pickler and Cat, kind of exchange barbs back and forth, all pretty well couched in racial stereotypes, uh, you know, like friends do. And this is a stop is put to this when the party pooper arrives. It's Juniper.
0: Oh, no. Juniper takes one look at these inebriated, barb-tossing leaders of a legion and notes, not inaccurately, that the rebels would win this war outright if they just kept sending us barrels of wine. Catherine, early on (laughs) tells us that the one thing you can count on with Juniper is that she's always right. And, um... Yep. Turns out...
1: There's a... A bit here where you know juniper's not a complete mood killer because it turns out that she has been trying to convince knock to wrestle an ox because it oh. would have done wonders for morale
0: well i think we all remember the rumors about uh
1: yep 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 wrestle is definitely Nox. <laughs> <Nocks>, yep
0: <laughs> okay so we are convinced that it's not okay okay yeah 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 Uh Gently allied in the subject, um, somehow lie in the subject. Let's talk about being elbow deep in something.
1: Yeah, uh, Juniper explains that Aisha's not going to be here because she's busy, and Hawkram goes on to say that uh, the apprentice won't get he- won't be here because he is elbow deep in something's carcass, and uh, you know that does sound like Z's, but it does. Beg the question, is this a carcass that he found on campaign or one that he brought with him? Did he just show up with a carcass to dig into when he got bored or did he find something interesting?
0: Sorry, I had to check if William was elbow deep in the carcass and he was not. You're skipping the possibility that the carcass is something that he
1: made. Oh, or summoned, which is different than bringing or finding or invoked, which is another verb. Hmm. Are there any other verbs? Uh,
0: took and straightened.
1: And that's all of them, right?
0: Well, it's the ones in your next
1: point. Uh, he, You know, Cat basically accepts that he's not going to be here, no problem. But Hockram is quick to reassure her, don't worry, your senior mage is going to be here. And Cat immediately takes in a sharp breath and starts straightening out her hair. She is a child. She immediately, Oh, I should have washed before coming here. Oh no, I smell like a dead horse. Uh, and everybody's laughing. She's She's such a child. Oh, the girl I think is pretty is going to be here. Better hurry and start messing with my hair in front of all of my friends. Just. I, it's like Kat's never been around people before.
0: I mean, has she? She grew up in Callow, around
1: Callowans. Yeah, fair, fair, fair.
0: Before, they sh- before she shows up, there's more conversation and... Catherine decides to start feeling really bad about Hakram losing his hand, and Juniper finally sets her down and deals with her discomfort over somebody else's disability, which is not just cringed in the normal way, but also culturally insensitive here. Juniper says, Catherine, he's an orc. I don't think you understand what that really means. We're not green-skinned humans with better teeth. We're orcs. While human children are learning to read, we're learning to kill. While you're picking up a trade, we're learning to kill. While you're going to pray in your pretty little churches, we're learning to kill. War isn't just what we do, Catherine. It's what we are. Which is quite the line, and I hate to sully its potency in any way.
1: No, no. Say what we're all thinking.
0: Go for it. While you were partying, we studied the blade. (laughs) <laughs>
1: there it is juniper
0: has the power of the gods below an anime on her side
1: yep <laughs> so the orcs are all just internet edge lords. that's really cool and that makes oh Kat... it's got
0: that vibe from them right yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that is that's the vibe that's definitely the vibe i've gotten from orcs. <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it, it's a cool scene because That is something that fantasy struggles with a lot, like a lot of fantasy settings, where the elves are humans, but they live in the trees and have pointy ears. And the halflings are humans, but they make better food or, you know, whatever. But being able to really distinguish, no, the orcs are not humans with better teeth. They are orcs. And that means something. And it means something very specific in this instance. And, you know, it's a a nice bit of world building and also a great little speech by Juniper. And? one of
0: the reasons why it's really nice that the orcs aren't based off of a real world society in the same direct lineage that we see French and German and Holy Roman Spanish elements in Prosser mm-hmm. or various African cultures in praise or just kind of Englandy in Callow. Yeah. It, it would be real bad if the orcs were, they're step-peoples, we'll call them Mongols. Well. Now you just did a huge racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they're orcs. Orcs only kill.
1: Yep. And it, they don't actually
0: only kill. But... No.
1: That but that's that's what they are. They are war. I mean, I, an orc here is saying that and is fine with it. And it's you know, there is more to what the it's orcs. Okay, do, we can
0: say it and it but... gave us permission.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. No, my orc friend said I could. It's uh yeah. It's uh it is good. It is it all around the orcs are good. From a, you know, storytelling perspective. But uh, Kat still feels pretty guilty about all of this, despite Juniper's reassurances, I guess? Lessons? It is appropriate to feel
0: guilty about costing somebody a hand.
1: Yeah. Uh, Not to be culturally insensitive, but... I mean, that's fair. Um, But uh, one of the things that she feels guilty about is having sent Hakram, one of her closest friends, into a duel with a heroine, knowing very well... Knowing very well, chances were he'd die in the process. But, I mean, people keep saying this, like, Ah, Hawkum has a n maybe has a nascent name because he stood up against uh, a, a named on his own. The name he stood up against is somebody called Thief. Her name is revolves around not getting into fights, avoiding people, and sneakily taking objects from places. Such it's as not the a, sky. Right, the sun, yeah. Oh, places being the sky. Thank you. It's she's not a combat named. Like, yeah, she's tougher and stronger than a normal person, but so is if Normal here being humans, of course. I, as we all understand, it's. Compared to, mm -hmm. I understand he took on a name, a named person, but he also took on the thief. So you know.
0: Yeah, compared to the serious combat names that we've seen so far. The thief is basically just some kind of pampered princess ah huh, huh? That's, yeah no? I
1: no I, I got you that's good okay I'm uh, I'm proud
0: of everything I've ever said in my life
1: nice cat says that she wasn't comfortable with what it said about her that when the blades came out she could make a decision like that sending Hawkram to die without even hesitating and frankly though that's kind of always who cat is in the in when tough decisions need to be made. She makes tough decisions, and even though she's gambling with other people's lives, it is painful for her every time. Which means that you know she's not pulling the punches just because she cares about people. Because she also doesn't pull the punches with her own safety. She's also willing to throw herself into the blender, if it's the tactically correct decision. She has resources on hand, some of those resources are people, and she spends those resources. It's just always who Kat is, and, you know, she doesn't feel great about it, but she doesn't change either.
0: Catherine Foundling is not the type of person who defeats the final boss with an inventory full of unused health potions.
1: Oh, absolutely not.
0: Or a party full of unhurt friends.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, hit points are a resource, and so are lives and friends.
0: And speaking of—wait a minute. Do you hear that sound? I think that's a magically imposed barrier with a different property on one side than the other, which means it's time for Deicide and
1: Applied Blasphemy. Deicide and Applied Blasphemy is our segment where we discuss comments and questions from you, our dear listeners. We have falsely assumed the thrones of your gods, and we invite you in this segment to challenge us for the mantles. You will not succeed, and we will continue on, unceasing and unerring.
0: The first of two attempts on our very lives and divinities comes to us from our old foe, Ahdi, who writes in to define what wards are for us. We had asked all of you for this assistance, and only one saw fit to bring forth this small tribute to us, which we of course take as an attack and disdain. Ahdi mentions that wards are described by Wakesa in his interlude in according to Arty's best recollection, Book 3 during lease, and that wards are a magically-imposed barrier, with a different property on one side of the barrier than the other. Perhaps sound can pass on one end but not the other, what have you. And these require a threshold, as Kat mentions in Book 7. And a repeatedly-violated threshold means that the ward may well fail. Thank you, Arty. Consider this attempt parried, but your life is not forfeit, for we are merciful.
1: We also had a submission from our most involved Redditor, the Corinthian Man, who gave us a little bit of their insight into Cat's story as it pertains to her rulership of Callow, and uh, specifically how that relates to Black and Elia's conversation about how Callow is being reformed under Black's plan to elevate Cat it is interesting there's a lot that uh they say uh we had uh sort of back and forth on reddit diving into this a bit more it's a lot more than we can cover in this brief segment so if you're interested in the corinthian man's thoughts and our conversation with them check it out on the uh the ee subreddit which is practical guide to evil um under our weekly podcast post Uh, And thank you, the Corinthian man.
0: You consider yourself as foolish as these two, willing to assist us with your generous words like a fool? Then please, write in. You can reach us at our email at thelongprice at gmail.com. Find us on whatever Twitter is called at thelongprice.
1: Or pay money to talk to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash p-g-t-e-e. Plus, we read every and respond to most of the comments on the subreddits, uh, updates, and in the Discord. So if you're there, we'd love to chat. Uh, But for today, we stand unvanquished.
0: So, yeah, I'm in my 30s, but I don't have experience with the alcohols in any quantity. Okay. So stop me if I make any fundamental errors here. But Catherine takes a twisted sort of satisfaction out of goading Masego into drinking the hard stuff. Apparently there was no magical cure for a hangover, which made his shambling the following morning a very entertaining spectacle. Cool. Great. Unfortunate. But could one not simply become drunk and then by right of being named Burn
1: it off when one is finished? I mean, that is a thing that happens, no? Like, I I feel like we see. Burning it
0: off is definitely established.
1: Yeah. Does he just drink to the point of not thinking of correcting his error? I mean, potentially, yeah. I mean, if he's not used to doing that, if he has to be goaded into the hard stuff, then mm, once he gets to the point where he should be burning things off, he's not thinking about it. Yeah, I can see that. Kind of rude of Cat, but.
0: I find it also interesting that he's succumbing to hear pressure like that, just given how little he cares for a lot of people's opinions. But I guess he's really trying to make a good impression with Catherine.
1: Yeah, but you have to remember that people have really bad opinions. Like Casper's, uh, who has arrived on the, on the scene and Ooh, uh, tells us we that... We don't
0: need to... Oh, it's so mean to... She, okay. t-
1: she, she tells Cat that Cat um, is one of the friendliest people she's ever met. Wait. And like, like, I don't see the problem. Cat's pretty charismatic, right? She's likable because she's funny and you know just everything. She's cat, but friendly is never a term I would use to describe Catherine Foundling.
0: If you did have to describe Catherine Foundling, which synonym of short would you use? Or I guess any other adjective, but.
1: Hmm. I mean, she's like a vertically challenged stack of razor blades and teeth several rows of teeth
0: i always thought of her as the larry bird of Calernia.
1: oh yeah great at trash talking freakishly tall yep that and does. And from sound... french lick indiana yeah french lick calo I've actually Lore, very fair laura's famously the french lick of Calo.
0: <laughs> also i went on a wikipedia deep dive recently but i'm not going to tell you what i was reading
1: about was it magic johnson So when they're kind of arguing back and forth about whether Cat is charismatic or friendly or whatever, uh, (laughs) Uh, Pickler brings up the point that, no, 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 we all like you because we trust you and you've made good plans in the past. And that seems to be enough for Cats to move on. But I have to say, there's a difference between making a plan and getting people to buy-in and being likable. Making a plan is a different skill than charisma. Getting people to buy into your plan is charisma plus having a good plan. I don't know. It's just... It, this does say a lot of good things about Kat. Her her leadership, her ability to create and enact a very solid plan. All good stuff. But Which likability could contribute to. Sure, sure, sure. What? But friendliness doesn't doesn't really fit into that in any way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, really all this boils down to is it, it's It's it got the feeling of everybody saying, oh, no, Kat, we all really like you. And uh, here's a sort of related reason why. <laughs> and uh, uh, Also, at this point, you know, these are these are her friends, but they're newish friends. So, you know, maybe they don't razz each other as hard. They're building each other up still, which is, uh, you know, An early stage in friendship.
0: Catherine's also in the early stage of workshopping mottos, I think. Do you recall the motto she settles on? Like the official one or the woes one? The the woes, of course. The real one. Yeah, lies and murder. Which is great. But it's great in a bluntness. It doesn't really have any flair to it. It's not elegant. It's just to the point. Which is one thing a motto can be. Don't get me wrong. But she's got a good one here. They tell her that she's got a plan and they learned to trust in that before she was done. And so she makes a toast to taking refuge in audacity then. And that's got a ring to it. That's got a very good piece of audio editing freeware in it. I support this.
1: It's a good slogan for sure.
0: Perhaps that's the slogan of our podcast.
1: I don't think so. I'm going to try to force it for the next 10 minutes. Okay, I was going to say, it cannot survive past this episode, or it will stick, and then I'm stuck with it for the next 600 weeks.
0: You're saying that would be an audacious move on my part? No. Gosh,
1: I shouldn't mm. have said anything. I shouldn't have said anything. If only there some someplace you could take refuge. Yikes. So, moving on. Uh, <laughs> when Kat is explaining that she didn't think she was that friendly, she offhandedly mentioned that she had a few interests. With other people romantic and as she, she toasts everybody cheers people begin to move off and her senior mage kind of makes her way over to cat and with just the peak of subtlety says so interests huh and uh you know it, it's worth noting from here to the end of the chapter is basically just uh, these two these two ladies flirting and uh some of it's great and some of it is that where it's just a, the here let me say the word "interests" and sort of waggle my eyebrows so you know what i mean it's very very top tier stuff
0: what if i sat next to you at the fire pit and said interests and oh we were both girls
1: <laughs> uh, but speaking of them both being girls uh Cat mentions that there, you know, there was a guy that she was interested in, yeah. and Callisto says, expresses some disappointment and says, "Oh, a, a boy," but Cat, you know, cuts her off. Oh, don't worry, I'm bisexual, and uh, you know, it's not often that the guide itself or the characters within it use distinct labels. They'll say, "I'm primarily interested in," or "I am interested in," you know, "I go both ways." Is something that Cat says at various points, but. You know, so you don't often see modern labels on people's sexuality or identity. And so it's just interesting to me that here Kat is just, yep, I'm bisexual. Just Let me just drop the term here, the, the label that I'm applying.
0: I know we know the guide is great on sexuality in so many ways that even in the modern age, you don't necessarily expect. But this is something that, and I am speaking as someone who is from the 90s and 2000s and has seen a lot of the growing pains of representation Mm -hmm. but being able to use the word bisexual and being able to actually view that as a valid orientation valid identity is enormous there are so many cases where oh turns out she's really straight oh turns out she's really gay or I thought she was attracted to women, but she's attracted to men instead. Bisexual, that word alone, is such a powerful inclusion because bi erasure is an enormous thing. And also in the modern world as well. Many people don't perceive Freddie Mercury as anything but gay or Lady Gaga as bi or what have you because their famous relationships were not in line their famous relationships were only in one direction. Right. They don't it, need any relationship. Catherine, Catherine is a bi queen. Right. Bi- and, queen and
1: my comment is not to say that the guide never uses these modern labels, therefore it's not representing people. Oh, yeah. like it, It's very much within the context of colernia those labels just aren't commonly used. And I think that's saying something. They don't need the labels because it's not a big deal deal aside from the places you know like uh vivian's area where it does matter briefly but it's just not you don't need these like you don't need to categorize people based on what other people they're interested they're potentially interested in it's just not how calernia needs to divide up people so they don't use the labels really they don't need to and so yeah cat uses it here and it's great to you know to have that representation but cat is to our eyes Bisexual, whether she uses that label or not, because she is broadly interested in anybody who's got pecs um, like you wouldn't believe. For instance,
0: she is right. However, <laughs> but that's the very reason I hesitated on the word identity because oh, sure, there's so much in our lives that is something true and known about ourselves that isn't something that we've been taught to apply as identity. I, frankly, don't even identify as a primary fantasy reader, even though my interests in literature do lean extremely heavily towards fantasy. But, you know, that's not a type of person in our society. But you know what? In the guide, you don't have black people or white people, and you certainly don't have more geographically based designations from our world because...
1: There is none of the. There's nobody who you would. There's nobody in the guide who you you would call East Asian or you know Southeast Asian or you know something like that for sure. Even
0: though there are people whom I gather, I probably would categorize them. I would looking at them through the lenses I have been taught. Oh sure. Based on the real geographies and histories of our world, Uh, but like Aquia would be black under our designations, but I don't think anyone would categorize her as such. And that Catherine identifies as by then is also a piece of world building because it's at least a word in use, but very little evidence it has got an identity to it. And that's cool. Yeah. We, we've perseverated, but I the construction of identity is a really nifty thing. And the way society assigns identity and the reality of social constructs coupled with their ultimate mutability, but functional immutability. It's there
1: really what you're saying yeah. is anybody who's not bi is committing a hate crime constantly. I I'm taking your silence for agreement, what, yeah.
0: I am just flipping through my copy of Judith Butler's latest book, The Force of Nonviolence. And it's really not about this.
1: Also, did you <laughs> know Judith
0: there. Butler wrote a book called The Force of Nonviolence, an Ethico political bind? good for judith i have not read it but i recommend everything they've written i don't suggest you agree with all of their theories uncritically don't begin that but they must be grappled with
1: sure
0: unless they got really weird in recent years but I i can't imagine that yeah they still seem very cool every once in a while someone turns into a nazi but judith butler is in the wrong categories for that to be likely
1: I googled, did Judith Butler get really weird in de- recent years? And I don't see the word yes anywhere, so probably good.
0: I actually want to get that book. Uh, so, yeah, the Peck's Like You Wouldn't Believe. Catherine's trying to flirt with her hopeful paramour, Chrysanthemum. And she <laughs> in doing so, she says, girls are nice. But there was this boy called Duncan back home who had, as he stated, pecs Like You Wouldn't Believe. And the thing is... What's the thing? I know that among gay men, there is often an openness to discussing attractive qualities in past interests or partners. Because it's a shared interest and also can apply to one another. But when you're flirting with a woman and you start with girls are nice,
1: but... Yeah, there's a difference between a shared appreciation for an attractive person that you could both potentially be interested in and a direct comparison where the person you are flirting with comes out behind. (laughs) You're nice and all, but this guy, let me tell you, just, cat. come on. Fortunately, uh, Cardamom does call her on this by saying, you're rather horrible at this, aren't you? And uh, the, the attempted flirts back and forth Uh, are pretty abruptly cut short because it goes from, oh yeah, there was this hot guy. Uh, Do do you like girls too? And from that, we are one step away from heading back to Cat's tent together.
0: They've just established interest in each other to each other. And Cat croaks out, would you like to go for a walk? As long as it leads towards your tent, she replied frankly. uh, I, I must admit, this doesn't have to be immediately sexual okay it is. On. <laughs> so let's get some privacy but this is developing swiftly that's all i'm saying this is a swift development from i don't know if i maybe i should tell her maybe i won't tell her and let it never be said that katherine foundling
1: does not go for what she wants she's taking refuge in audacity is that her name okay and with that we are out of time for today
0: Join us next week on Podcast Guys Talking Erata Grata as we discuss. Opious casualties.
1: Forgotten families. And approximate assemblies.
0: Take refuge in audacity, folks.
1: Wade in their blood.
0: Audaciously. Guys, guys Talking Erratic Errata is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Errata's A Practical Guide to Evil. Check out the full serial at to practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com Enter music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Knife Stab Sound Effect was Knife Stab Sound Effect by Pixabay. Music for the epigraph was Modern r and Go Time by Antipodian Writer. Music for Deicide was Save As by Toby Lane. Outer music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is The Price of Freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Price. Do you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash p-g-t-e-e. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name. Receive personalized stories and art, and get a whole lot of, frankly, off-the-wall bonus content. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and... Villainous hero, Gray, our patron, and liege, always a claimant, never the named, our patron, and guardian, the fey knight, our patron, and mentor, the traveling teacher, our patron, and dear friend, Aaron, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, Chapter 14, Situation.